You're now listening to the world famous Change Your Mind. Change Your Mind. Change Your Life. Change Your Life. Podcast. Broadcasting worldwide with your host, Robert Paisola. Ladies and gentlemen, give way for Robert Paisola. Broadcasting on 107.1 on the Man Cave Podcasting Network and beaming worldwide on the Spectavision Satellite Radio Network live from Las Vegas. Today's episode is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz, featuring sleek luxury and pure elegance. Visit your local Mercedes-Benz dealer today and take advantage of exceptional deals for 2022. Bringing you the top news and guests from around the globe on finance, credit, life, or just how to fix that dent in your pocketbook from COVID-19. It's Robert Paisola, the CEO and president of Western Capital International. And he's in the studio live, live, right now. Why should anyone who isn't in the car rental industry be interested in business lessons derived from enterprise? Because, as Warren Buffett has said, there is no more classy or successful company than Enterprise Rent-A-Car. As many of its competitors lose business, market share, and money, Enterprise has been doing the opposite, becoming the world's largest and most successful rental car company. Under the leadership of founder Jack Taylor, the company began with an initial investment of $100,000 and just seven cars. Now, under the founder's son, Andy, it's a $9 billion global giant with a fleet of 800,000-plus vehicles at 7,000 locations, as well as 62,000-plus employees. It buys more new cars each year than any other company. What's more, it boasts the highest credit rating in its industry. Importantly, the Enterprise Way works for companies outside the rental car industry. Look no further than Enterprise itself. The Taylor family also owns and operates a number of other diversified and completely unrelated businesses, from a distributor of in-room coffee packets to a manufacturer of Mylar balloons. All of these businesses have enjoyed similar success by following these exact same techniques and management principles. The nine secrets to the success of Enterprise are 1. Take care of your customers and employees, and the bottom line will follow. 2. To gain a competitive edge, be different. 3. Never settle for satisfied. 4. Hire and train good people from the ground up. 5. Treat everyone like an owner. 6. Form strong partnerships. 7. Use technology to enhance the customer experience. 8. Grow smart. And 9. Live your core values. One, take care of customers and employees and profits will take care of itself. Let's start with the first principle. If you take care of both your customers and your employees, profits will take care of themselves. Of course, everyone in business talks about serving customers and valuing employees. 
but no other company does those things better than Enterprise, which connects employee advancement with customer satisfaction. Enterprise looks for individuals who have an entrepreneurial spirit, and it compensates them as if they were owners of the business. Employees have real opportunities to move up from entry-level management positions and make impressive money. However, they can do so only by demonstrating an ability to not just satisfy customers, but make them completely satisfied. Enterprise literally goes the extra mile for customers. The company will pick up customers at their homes, workplaces, the airport, or just about anywhere else. Enterprise has a passion for customer convenience. It has a branch within 15 miles of 90% of the American population, as well as a growing presence in Canada and Europe. Enterprise is very interested in attracting customers, but it's nearly obsessed with repeat business. It recognizes that it costs five to six times as much to gain new customers as it does to keep current ones. It's learned that there are six primary reasons people stop doing business with a company. 1% die, 3% move away, 5% develop other relationships, 9% leave for competitive reasons, 14% are dissatisfied with the product, and 68% go elsewhere because they were treated poorly. Clearly, retaining customers means building personal relationships with them. If customers generally leave because of bad treatment, the solution is to make certain they get good treatment. Providing service that completely satisfied customers isn't a mystery or a high-cost endeavor. Rather, it involves the basics. Shaking hands with people, looking them in the eye, greeting them by name, finding out what their needs and concerns are, and solving their problems. Keep in mind that having satisfied customers isn't enough at Enterprise. The reason is straightforward and backed by research. When you exceed someone's expectations and bring them to the completely satisfied category, they are at least 70% more likely to do business with you again. The strategy is clearly effective. Standard & Poor's calls Enterprise the most financially sound rental car company in the world. Its employees are often highly sought by recruiters at other firms from a variety of industries. Clearly, Enterprise is a different kind of company, and its distinctiveness is the subject of the next section. Two, gain a competitive edge by being distinctive. In a competitive environment, your products and services must be distinctive enough to create a magnetic appeal to customers. Enterprise always has made an effort to stand out from the pack. That's not an easy task in an industry where all the competitors basically offer similar auto models and prices. Let's look at eight distinctive elements at Enterprise. First, it requires employees to dress for success. Professionally dressed employees put customers at ease and convey an image of respect for their jobs and customers. When necessary, Enterprise gives employees a special allowance to help pay for new clothes. Second, the company constantly remains open to new opportunities, including those that may be unconventional in its industry. For example, to grow rapidly, Enterprise regularly conquers new markets and does so profitably. As part of its growth strategy, Enterprise operates several other auto-related businesses including fleet services, retail used car sales, and commercial truck rentals. Third, the company is unique in how it obtains and manages its rental fleet. Most of its competitors lease their vehicles from automakers, but Enterprise buys its cars outright. By buying in volume, Enterprise can negotiate big discounts. Later, the company's remarketing group goes into action, selling hundreds of thousands of vehicles annually. Fourth, it seeks out innovative ways to make use of company resources. It strives to keep revenues coming in even on weekends, which tend to be slower, 
One way it does this is by offering rentals for half off from Friday through Monday. Fifth, it empowers employees to make decisions that result in new ways of doing things. Its emphasis on hiring, motivating, and retaining service-oriented employees gives it a real edge in terms of people. Sixth, it sets its sights on capturing parts of the market that other companies have ignored. For example, while Hertz, Avis, and other companies were competing ferociously for expensive real estate near airport runways, Enterprise was growing dramatically by opening locations in strip malls, industrial parks, and inside of car dealerships. Seventh, Enterprise makes it as convenient as possible for customers to use its service. The company is famous now as the rental car company that picks up customers. That policy traces back to its early deals with insurance companies. In many cases, customers had incapacitated cars and could not get to Enterprise. And eighth, it doesn't haggle over prices when it sells cars to retail buyers. Instead of negotiating on price with buyers, as almost every other car dealership does, Enterprise offers all vehicles for a flat fee below blue book prices. The company's absolute refusal to fight over prices is unique. Also, contrary to industry practice, Enterprise offers a free one-year limited warranty with each used vehicle, as well as a no-questions-asked seven-day money-back guarantee. The steps Enterprise takes to distinguish itself seem relatively simple, but it executes them better than any other rental car company. If your company isn't distinctive, then you're not giving customers a reason to do business with you versus the competition. An important way that Enterprise distinguishes itself is by settling for nothing less than complete customer satisfaction, which is the next subject we will explore. Three, never settle for mere customer satisfaction. Satisfying customers is important, but a customer you merely satisfy is one that might find greater satisfaction with a competitor. As enterprises learned, determining customer satisfaction and deciding how to improve it can be complex. A systematic approach works best. The company's system for tracking customer service is comprehensive and highly effective. It goes by the name of Enterprise Service Quality Index, or ESQI. In the acronym, the first three letters are capitalized, but not the I. That's because, as one enterprise manager explains, we want to keep the focus on service and quality. Not the index. Every enterprise branch is assigned its own ESQI score. It represents the percentage of customers who characterize their rental experience as completely satisfying. ESQI scores have statistical validity on monthly and quarterly basis. Every branch, area, and group knows the score of its enterprise counterparts. The scores are absolutely crucial for those seeking to move up. For example, if a branch manager's ESQI score is below the company average, and he or she is otherwise in line for a higher management position, he or she won't get it until the number improves. Enterprise has become synonymous with ESQI, but it's a fairly new development. Until 1989, the company generally assumed that customer service must be in good shape because enterprise was growing rapidly. However, a focus group of customers raised some troubling questions. They suggested that the company's customer service was inconsistent, which was shocking news to the company. Like many companies experiencing rapid growth, Enterprise apparently was experiencing some lapses in customer service. The company's senior managers recognized the need to create a more accurate way to track customer satisfaction. Through trial and error, they learned that customer surveys shouldn't be infrequent occurrences. Surveys must take place regularly and should not consist of forms that customers fill out. 
That's because written surveys don't get taken very seriously, don't have high reliability, and often don't get returned. The most candid surveys occur face-to-face, -face, and that's how the initial one should be conducted. Follow-up surveys should take place over the telephone. Enterprise uses surveys to zero in on specific locations. This enables the company to determine precisely where their customer satisfaction is highest and lowest. In addition to measuring customer satisfaction, Enterprise uses systems to improve satisfaction. The company segments every contact with customers. These are sometimes called touch points, but Enterprise refers to them as the cycle of service. They consist of moments of truth or critical interactions that give an organization a chance to differentiate itself. Each step of the cycle influences both the team's overall ESQI score and the customer's perception of the team. The first step generally is a telephone call, a customer's initial contact with Enterprise. Issues here include how many rings before the call gets answered, how often customers are put on hold, how pleasantly they are greeted, and how effectively the employee makes the sale. The next step is the customer pickup, which is Enterprise's unique opportunity to build strong relationships with customers. Factors here include being prompt and courteous, chatting personably, establishing eye contact, using the customer's name, and helping load personal items. Then there's the branch arrival. Factors here include treating the customer like a family member, explaining thoroughly the rental process, and giving the customer a number to call if there's a problem. Next, there's the rental contact. Enterprise trains its employees to explain an important aspect of the contract to customers, so they're clear about what they're signing. The next element in the cycle is the car itself. It should be clean, and an employee should make sure the customer understands how it operates. Some special elements of service offered by Enterprise include callbacks and switchouts. Essentially, callbacks are follow-ups Enterprise makes with body and service shops to see when customer vehicles will be ready. Switchouts occur when the specific model a customer wants isn't on the lot, and it involves employees switching cars for customers when the desired model becomes available. The return of the vehicle is important. In addition to handling the return quickly and efficiently, enterprise employees again smile, shake the customer's hand, and ask how the rental experience went. And the final step is an invitation to return, which is a friendly reminder that enterprise can meet the customer's future rental needs. The goal of the cycle of service is a completely satisfied customer. Instead of waiting for complaints, enterprises people try to sense any unhappiness that might exist and then make the situation better. Through ESQI, Enterprise has identified six attributes that have the greatest effect on customer satisfaction. They are 1. Courtesy, 2. Professionalism, 3. Timeliness of service, 4. Treatment as a valued customer, 5. The mechanical condition of the car, and 6. Timeliness to complete the rental transaction. Clearly, most of these attributes have to do with service quality rather than product quality, and service is something that any company can address. Negatives in any of these areas are destructive to overall customer satisfaction. By concentrating on these factors, groups can raise their ESQI scores. Of course, the most important element in customer satisfaction is the quality and dedication of the people providing the service. And that's the next subject. Four, hire and train good people from the bottom up. Hiring, training, and motivating good people have sparked enterprises' rapid growth and strong profitability. Characteristics of the employees the company wants include flexibility, strong listening and communication skills, a solid work ethic, 
ambition, self-motivation, goal orientation, and persuasiveness. Also, leadership abilities are especially important. The company hires individuals who demonstrate a passion for taking care of customers. But how can you determine an applicant's capacity for customer focus? The best way is to ask them good questions about how effectively they've dealt with customers and others in the past. Enterprise's success also derives from its commitment to treating workers like owners. The rationale is that owners get compensated based on the bottom line, so they always have an incentive to come up with better ways to accomplish two goals. One, satisfy customers, and two, cut costs. When hiring employees, make them aware of the opportunities they have to work their way up. Additionally, set realistic expectations for the compensation levels they can anticipate. Also, communicate the company's mission and keep reinforcing it. Make sure you continuously train employees to take great care of customers. What's more, let employees know exactly where they stand in terms of performance. Review an individual's performance several times during the first year, and at least annually thereafter. As Enterprise does, help your employees set ambitious but realistic goals. Then, ensure that they're making progress toward meeting their goals. What's more, make certain you don't frustrate highly talented workers. That means allowing them to move into other areas of the business if they have the desire and skills to do so. Finally, demonstrate a continuing commitment to diversity. Your workforce should reflect the customers you serve now and the ones you'll serve in the future. To motivate all of its people, Enterprise treats them as owners rather than employees, as we will discuss in the next section. Five, treat everyone like an owner. Many companies have taken steps to make employees feel more like owners. Some award stock options, others offer stock purchases at a discount, and still others pay annual bonuses based on corporate and individual performance. But few companies equal enterprise in allowing employees to behave like and be compensated as owners. It transforms workers from their typical status as wage earners into entrepreneurs. Enterprise's distinctive approach is evident in its unique operational structure, as well as in its extremely generous compensation. The company pays out to employees nearly 40 cents of every dollar in profits. In terms of operations, Enterprise consists of groups, regions, areas, and branches. Chief Operating Officer Pam Nicholson explains the system this way. Employees run each of these groups and branches as individual businesses. Everything is done locally. She adds, each group has its own accounting, recruitment, car sales, and marketing teams. The reason every business segment operates autonomously is that Enterprise believes the individual unit knows what's best for its community and customer base. Enterprise workers who become assistant managers receive a base salary and a cut of the unit's profits. Thus, employees who focus laser-like on customer care find themselves taken care of by the company. Enterprise isn't one of those companies that falls into the trap of seeing payroll cost mainly as a drag on profits. It knows that spreading the wealth increases the company's profitability. Bonuses can grow as people's responsibility increases. When they get promoted to the area, region, and group levels, they receive a share of the profits from all operating units below them. There's a heavy focus at the company on moving up. Each promotion leads to more responsibility and a greater ability to lead organizational change, as well as a bigger bonus. The amount of compensation tied to performance can be substantial. While a branch manager at Enterprise might have only 10 to 20% of his or her salary in the form of a bonus, 
80% or more of a general manager's overall compensation comes from profitability. For some corporate officers, that number can be as high as 99%. The company also breaks with convention in paying bonuses based on monthly revenue rather than profits. With that approach, bonuses never fall into the out-of-sight, out-of-mind category. Enterprise shows that it's not necessary to hand out stock options to get employees to act as owners. But it is necessary to share part of the wealth that workers help create. That win-win philosophy is also behind the company's success at creating partnerships with other businesses, which is the next subject. Six, form strong partnerships. Enterprise is a company built on strong relationships. It has many solid business partnerships with insurers, auto manufacturers, corporations, car dealerships, body shops, and credit unions. The partnerships have been key growth drivers, and they give Enterprise an extremely strong competitive advantage. The company commits itself to making these partnerships succeed and endure, even if it means taking a temporary cut in business. Enterprise's most crucial partnerships are with insurance providers. State Farm alone reserves an Enterprise car every nine seconds. The insurance market accounts for more than half of the company's revenues. Other rental car companies try to make inroads into this attractive business, but Enterprise remains far and away the leader. There are several reasons for that. First, it has worked hard to maintain close relationships, built mainly at the local level with the insurance industry. Traditionally, Enterprise people have made what they called donut runs. That involves bringing donuts to insurance offices as well as body shops and car dealerships. Customers appreciate the donuts, but the conversations that take place are the keys to sealing relationships. Enterprise people listen to customers, hear their problems, and help them come up with solutions. In sealing partnerships, Enterprise is creative. During one extended heat wave, a branch manager rented an ice cream truck and brought refreshing treats to customers. Also, the company's trademark Will Pick You Up service originated mainly as a way of convincing a single insurance agent to rent replacement vehicles. As the insurance business grew, Enterprise added more features to the relationships. For example, it began monitoring a policyholder's entire repair process for the insurance company. Enterprise's telephone traffic to handle contact with repair shops, adjusters, and customers quickly shot up to 600,000 calls per day. By 1994, various insurance companies were working with Enterprise to cut down on phone calls and faxes by coming up with a national solution. It was a complicated task, reflecting the complexity and diversity of hardware and software systems used by the various insurance companies. The solution Enterprise built was ARMS, short for Automated Rental Management System. It works this way. When a policyholder has an accident and files a claim, the insurance adjuster logs onto ARMS and creates a reservation for a customer. The reservation is electronically submitted to the appropriate enterprise branch, based on the customer's phone number or zip code. The approach eliminates any needs for calls or faxes from enterprise's home office. Once an enterprise employee receives the reservation, he or she contacts the customer to set up the details, and then monitors the entire process online. That allows adjusters to see how long the car is out and to check updates along the way. Developing the program required an investment of $40 million. Significantly, one of the system's main goals was to increase efficiency and thereby reduce the number of rental days. That commitment disturbed some enterprise field managers, but the company adamantly believed ARMS would lead ultimately to more business. 
It would do so by bringing efficiencies to insurance companies and therefore making them happier. Making the arms program a success required Enterprise to set up a comprehensive training program for adjusters. Over the years, the company has retained an unwavering commitment to serving its partners and saving them money, even when such steps might seem counterintuitive. Underlying Enterprise's unmatched capacity to form close partnerships are six steps. 1. Identify the critical concerns of your customers and potential partners. With ARMS, Enterprise came up with solutions for the two major problems the insurance companies identified, reducing their total cost per transaction and managing repair shop relationships. 2. Determine what mutual benefits will derive from the partnership. For a relationship to work, it must be good for both sides. 3. Go into the relationship with a complete commitment. For example, Enterprise introduced arms less for the immediate returns they'd produce, but rather for the long-term loyalty and additional business they'd generate. 4. Avoid going for the last oink out of the pig. Enterprise doesn't try to squeeze the last penny out of a partnership deal, but rather to share efficiencies. 5. Keep the lines of communication fluid and open. Enterprise asks its partners questions like, How can we add more value for you? How can we help your business? What more can we provide? And six, never rest on your laurels. Even though it's the leader in the rental car industry, Enterprise wants to get better and is always ready to learn new things. That's also the approach it's taken with technology, which comprises the next section. Seven, use technology to enhance the customer experience. At Enterprise, the primary use of technology should be as a tool to enhance the customer experience. Since that service is the heart of the business, technology must complement, not replace, the human touch. Your technical people should understand the business the technology serves. Programmers shouldn't be isolated from the rest of the company. They must be part of a team dedicated to serving the business and living the company values. For example, when Enterprise hired its first chief technology officer in 1973, the CEO didn't ask him to start writing code immediately. Instead, he was sent to work in the field for nine months. In this way, he could rent cars at branch offices, meet with employees, and learn the details of the business. By learning what the rental process was like for the customer, he was better prepared to write a program for making it more customer-friendly and efficient. For many years, the company's rental transaction had been a manual process. That involved writing forms by hand, tracking cars on chalkboards, and jotting customer information on index cards. As the business grew, the resulting paperwork avalanche threatened to overwhelm the capacity for customer service. In the 1980s, Enterprise decided it was essential to start automating the rental functions to take better care of customers. The company developed a new system called eCars or Enterprise Computer Assisted Rental System. In its first iteration, eCars served simply to open and close rental tickets. Enterprise saw that the system saved time and improved performance in ways that strengthened customer service. Managers who used eCars loved it, and the company began to roll it out across the country. The company also built in analysis and reporting tools. Enterprise initially relied on a host system in St. Louis and telephone connections to branch offices. But that made the company dependent in each city on a single telephone provider, which was not a good bargaining position and one that often led to long service delays. Enterprise soon decided it couldn't wait for phone service providers to fit into their schedules. The company then embraced a satellite network. Each branch got a small parabolic antenna that sent and received data through a satellite, 
and connected each location with a much larger antenna in St. Louis. The satellite system allowed the company to open a branch in as little as 24 hours. Reliability was excellent. Enterprise's IT department developed a form of email that allowed all locations to share important data. In a time of rapid expansion, electronic communication allowed everyone in the company to remain on the same page. But as the 1990s progressed, eCars began showing its age. It was storing a lot of data, but it wasn't helping the company to take better care of customers. The original eCars was working well as a customer transaction program, but not as a customer relationship program. So, Enterprise came up with eCars 2.0. It has new features that allow employees to use technology to take better care of customers. Also, it provides an improved fleet management tool. With the new system, the company found problems with the delays caused by satellite transmission. So, it set up a private virtual network connected through landlines. It could do so mainly because of the dramatic upsurge in competition between telephone network providers. Of course, with its new technologies, Enterprise incurred costs. But they were secondary to the ability to exchange crucial information and especially to improve customer service. Obviously, Enterprise has used technology to grow smart, which is the next element in the company's success that we will examine. Eight, grow smart. Enterprise rejects growth for its own sake. In fact, the company believes growth must make sense in terms of its core competencies, brand identity, and profitability. For Enterprise, top-line growth isn't enough. It doesn't confuse getting bigger with getting better. In terms of growth strategies, it's instructive to focus on the company's evolving attitude toward airport locations. As we've seen, it built its business mainly by avoiding the crowded airport markets. It did so for many reasons, including the fact that other national brands dominated the airport business. Also, operating costs were expensive. Moreover, because of the speed of transactions at airports, Enterprise couldn't showcase its customer service skills. Thus, the company locations near airports tended to have lower ESQI scores than other branches. However, Enterprise never denied the size of the airport market. And, given the freedom of the company's managers to act like entrepreneurs, some of them decided to open branches near airports. Employees would then pick up customers in the vicinity of baggage areas. Yet, many airport travelers had been on a long plane ride. They didn't want to wait for someone to pick them up. Enterprise's view of airport locations began to evolve. It wasn't against operating at airports, but only if it could provide its usual high level of customer service. For an initial test site, it chose Denver, which in 1995 was opening the first major new airport in 30 years. 24 miles from the city center, it was on a flat prairie with no off-site locations appropriate for branches. Enterprise rented space at the airport and studied which of its practices could be adapted to the new location. It discovered that the simple things, which made a difference in the city branches, worked at the airport too. Employees helped customers with their baggage made sure they knew how to operate the vehicle, and closed the rental by finding out what they could have done better. In the past decade, it has captured a roughly 8% of the overall airport market, which now produces about 10% of the company's revenue. It has also earned J.D. Powers & Associates' highest rating for customer satisfaction at airports. Enterprise had to adapt again when it expanded internationally. Its move into Canada was relatively seamless because the market is so similar to the U.S., in Europe, however, the learning curve was much longer. 
For example, Enterprise found that Germans like to rent and drive German cars. Color preferences are also different. In the U.S., white is the most popular color for rental cars. Customers in the United Kingdom prefer silver, and blue is more popular than red. It proved to be an expensive lesson, as rates for white and foreign-built cars had to be dropped in order to keep them rented. Having learned these lessons, Enterprise has been successful in Europe, with more than 450 locations and 40,000 cars in its European fleet. In 10 years, it has accomplished the growth that it took 25 years to reach in the United States. But Enterprise only pursues growth if it is in line with its core values. We'll discuss that final element in the company's success in the next section. Nine, live your core values. Like the world's other top companies, Enterprise lives by a clear set of core values. Great organizations not only know what they're doing, but also why they're doing it. Core values are the essential and enduring beliefs and ideals that influence an organization's thoughts and actions. They transcend economic cycles, management changes, technological advances, and marketplace fluctuations. Often, core values emerge out of the lessons and stories handed down by the company's founders. In Enterprise's earlier days, Jack Taylor and later his son Andy would explain directly to employees their beliefs about the right ways to do business. But in the 21st century, Enterprise is a much larger company, so it has codified its core values. Now all employees get a written copy of the eight defining values, which are: one, our brand is the most valuable thing we own; two, personal honesty and integrity are the foundation of our success. Three, customer service is our way of life. Four, enterprise is a fun and friendly place. Five, we work hard and we reward hard work. Six, great things happen when we listen to our customers and to one another. Seven, we strengthen our communities one neighborhood at a time. And eight, our doors are open. Combined, the eight values are specific to enterprise, but the belief system they reflect is relevant to all organizations. Let's look at each value more closely. First, protecting the brand is critical because it's the company's most important possession. The brand reflects the company's reputation, which each employee maintains by providing top-flight service and strong personal values. Second, personal honesty is a must. At Enterprise, people enjoy a lot of independence, but if the company has a solid reason to question their integrity, then they're asked to leave. Third, nearly all companies express a commitment to customer service as a way of life, but at Enterprise, it's an obsession that begins at the top and dominates the entire organization. Customer service is the main factor underlying ESQI. Each branch's score is displayed right next to the profit numbers on monthly financial statements. Fourth, with all the demands on employees, they won't stay with the company if they don't enjoy their jobs. So it's essential to create a fun, friendly, and teamwork-centered place to work. For example, Enterprise promotes friendly competitions between branches in different cities, with the two sides getting together to socialize and get acquainted. Fifth, employees sometimes must work long hours and deal with cranky customers, so they should get rewarded for working hard. Enterprise rewards its people with bonuses for performance, recognition, and opportunities for promotions. Sixth, listening to customers and employees has led to the policies and practices that have set enterprise apart from the competition and fueled its growth, from picking up customers to entering the airport market. 
Seventh, Enterprise's top management sees it as a local company that does business in thousands of neighborhoods. It strengthens communities by purchasing vehicles from local dealerships where it operates, supports thousands of local organizations, and encourages employees to take an active role in their communities. And eighth, an open-door policy is a core value at Enterprise because its success depends on reaching out to people of all backgrounds. It's also dedicated to remaining open to new ideas instead of being stuck in the traditional ways of doing things. In the final section, we'll summarize the key elements of Enterprise's success. To sum up what has made Enterprise so successful over the past five decades, it really comes down to five practices. One, convince every employee that taking care of customers and employees is job number one. At Enterprise, the top executives demonstrate their commitment to this belief through their actions every day. Two, empower workers as entrepreneurs and base a percentage of their compensation on bottom line results. By using this approach, Enterprise not only brings out the best in its employees, it also causes them to think twice about unnecessary expenditures and fosters strong loyalty. Three, hold employees financially accountable for offering excellent customer service. By tracking how satisfied each renter is, Enterprise can determine which workers are best taking care of customers and reward them. Four, establish strategic partnerships. Enterprise would not be where it is today if not for its strong alliances with body shops, car dealerships, and insurance companies. And finally, five, dare to be different. From the way it pays workers, to its target market, and even its office locations, Enterprise has always stood out from the crowd. And, as its big competitors struggled financially, Enterprise has differentiated itself in another way. It has continued to achieve record profitability year after year. We've now reached the end of part two of this month's issue, but we invite you to continue listening to an excerpt from the Global Technology Briefing as it appeared in a recent issue of Business Briefings. You'll find it an eye-opening experience. Now, let's explore the latest breakthroughs in technology. We'll begin this month with the latest progress in stem cell research. Stem cells promise one of the greatest advancements in treatment since the beginning of medical history. Adult stem cells have revolutionized what is possible, and embryonic stem cells one day may do the same. But in either case, getting from the laboratory to the clinic is a long process, much like assembling a jigsaw puzzle. Each month, we bring you news of a few more pieces of the puzzle that are falling into place. And this month's news comes from the Technion Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa, Israel, where researchers have used stem cells to create new heart muscle that has its own blood supply. According to a report in the journal Circulation Research, this tissue could be grown in the lab and used to replace cardiac muscle that has been damaged by heart attack. Heart muscle has been grown from stem cells before, but it's been necessary to grow it in two-dimensional single-cell layers so that all cells can be in contact with the growth medium. In that way, each cell can absorb nutrients and oxygen and rid itself of waste. While those experiments have been promising, such cultures of tissues are not suitable for actual clinical use. 
Heart muscle cells in living tissue obtain nutrients and oxygen and rid themselves of waste through the blood vessels that make contact with them in the three-dimensional muscle fibers. The work in Israel represents the first time that human heart muscle has been grown in the laboratory in three dimensions, and that was made possible because the researchers were able to give the tissue a blood supply. To do this, they seeded a three-dimensional matrix with both heart muscle cells and blood vessel cells, and then added the stem cells along with fibroblasts, which helped to support the walls of the developing blood vessels. The key to success was growing all the different types of tissue together, the way the body naturally does it. One of the problems with using certain types of adult stem cells has been the difficulty of getting them to reproduce in the laboratory. One of the reasons that bone marrow transplants are still so risky today is that the small amount of bone marrow taken, which is largely made up of stem cells, cannot be expanded significantly in the lab. In addition, the inability to grow certain adult stem cells in the lab has even led skeptics to question whether or not they exist. One such type is the so-called multipotent adult progenitor cell, or MAPC. These have been isolated from bone marrow and then turned into almost every tissue type, including liver, bone, and nerve cells. However, until now, they've proven very hard to multiply in vitro. Now, a research collaboration between the University of Minnesota and Stanford University has successfully grown those cells in the lab, according to a new report published in the online edition of the Journal of Experimental Medicine. After allowing the cells to double 80 times, which represents an enormous population, the cells were transplanted back into mice whose immune systems had been destroyed by radiation. This is the same procedure used in human bone marrow transplant patients. The MAPC cells not only survived the transplant, they completely rebuilt the blood and immune systems of the mice. This finding also suggests that MAPCs could be used to reduce tissue rejection in transplant patients. Other scientists have used MAPCs to create a variety of other tissues. For example, a report in the journal Blood chronicles the creation of blood vessel tissue, while another in the Journal of Clinical Investigation documents that these adult stem cells can turn into smooth muscle. These discoveries open the way to numerous other stem cell therapies in the future. In a related development, a team at the University of Kentucky has completed the first study of a stem cell gene. The team published its findings in Nature Genetics. This gene regulates the number of stem cells in the body, especially those in bone marrow. This opens the way for a therapy in which the gene's protein product, latexin, can be injected into cancer patients to increase the production of stem cells to help rebuild healthy tissue while the patient is undergoing chemotherapy or a bone marrow transplant. Chemotherapy destroys stem cells as a side effect that limits how much chemotherapy can be given. Patients who have their stem cell count increased with latexin could be given higher doses of chemotherapy and thereby receive more effective treatment. They would therefore recover more rapidly. In bone marrow transplants, one of the limits to the effectiveness of the therapy is the number of stem cells available for transplant. Latexin would increase the count. Latexin could also be used to increase the concentration of stem cells in umbilical cord blood. Cord blood has proven useful in treating children, but doesn't contain enough stem cells to treat adults at this point. Latexin could also be used in treating liver disease, diabetes, 
and central nervous system damage from trauma or stroke. In other medical news, researchers at the Scripps Research Institute have made a breakthrough in treating cancer by cutting off its blood supply. Cancer grows faster and has a faster metabolism than normal tissues in the body. It therefore requires a much denser blood supply to support those greedy processes. In the mid-90s, that insight inspired scientists to develop ways of blocking the blood supply to choke off the tumor, while leaving healthy tissues alone. But until now, such so-called anti-angiogenic agents that stop the growth of new blood vessels have had limited success. They typically block one pathway, but leave another one open. Now, as described recently in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, researchers at Scripps have combined different versions of those anti-angiogenic drugs to effectively block all the pathways at once and completely stop the growth of new blood vessels. In addition, combining the therapies allowed the doctors to use much lower doses of any one drug, up to 100 times less. This ability to use reduced dosages is especially important in elderly or infirm patients who need to form new blood vessels in other areas. This new therapy can also be used in diseases such as ischemic retinopathy, in which too many new blood vessels grow and destroy normal vision, which is a major cause of blindness worldwide. The combination therapy was able to stop all new blood vessel growth in 60% of the cases, and in nine of every 10 patients, it stopped over 75% of blood vessel growth. This holds out hope for millions of patients throughout the world. One persistent healthcare problem for which there has so far been no treatment is the proliferation of fake drugs. For example, counterfeit malaria medications have caused tremendous problems in Asia and the rest of the developing world. And once the packages are opened and the drugs analyzed, a costly and time-consuming process, then the drugs can't be sold on the market anymore. But a report in the journal Analytical Chemistry describes a new form of Raman spectroscopy, which can identify individual molecules. The new technology allows inspectors to see through packaging and identify the chemical makeup of what's inside. This so-called spatially offset Raman spectroscopy could entirely eliminate the problem of counterfeit drugs, and it could also be used to detect concealed weapons of mass destruction, such as biological toxins. In information technology news this month, IBM has announced an important improvement to transistor technology that will enable it to create chips that are smaller, faster, and more efficient than anyone imagined they could be at this point. These new transistors will be easy to incorporate into existing technology and manufacturing techniques. IBM is already planning to produce them in its new semiconductor facility at East Fishkill, New York, starting next year. They will be used to manufacture circuits that are a mere 45 nanometers wide. So, just when it looked as if chip size was about to reach a fundamental limit, this 10-year-long development process on the part of IBM is paving the way forward to extending Moore's law. To get an idea of the size of these new transistors, 30,000 of them could fit on the head of a pin, and 400 of them could fit on a single human red blood cell. Ten years ago, a transistor took up 30 times as much area. According to a press release from IBM, the breakthrough involves substituting a new material into the primary junction of the transistor, 
The technology is called a high-K metal gate because the entire research and development process was aimed at allowing manufacturers to use the high-K metal gate technology without changing their factories, it will be easy and economical to adopt rapidly. Almost simultaneously, another giant chip maker, Intel, announced a related breakthrough of its own that incorporates high-K metal gate technology and could represent the biggest change in computer chips in 40 years. Like IBM, Intel will soon make 45 nanometer transistors its new standard. This will step up performance of PCs while reducing the amount of heat and electrical leakage, making them that much more efficient. The key to Intel's development was the use of a material called hafnium, which has 10 times the insulating power of conventional silicon dioxide. The specific metal compound Intel uses for its gates is a closely guarded secret. But the company has revealed that this new design provides better than a 20% increase in current flow and five times less current leakage. This new chip employing the technology is being codenamed Penryn, and early versions will be installed in machines running Mac OS X, Unix, Linux, Windows XP, and Windows Vista. Penryn will become available in the second half of 2007. Because the conventional transistor materials were reaching their size limits, Many analysts feared that Moore's law was coming to an end unless someone came up with a quantum computer or a molecular computer. But with the new materials, Intel predicts that this trend of doubling the number of transistors on a chip every two years or less will be able to continue for at least another decade. In this one step, Intel increased the density by a factor of two, and some of its new chips will contain as many as 800 million transistors. According to a press release from Intel, the company has more than 15 products based on the new technology in development for desktop computers, mobile devices, workstations, and enterprise equipment. Another step toward building faster, more efficient computers was announced by chemists from UCLA and Caltech in the journal Nature. They successfully demonstrated an ultra-dense memory device that stores information using molecular switches. The basis of the device is a molecule called rotaxane, which has two natural states. The proof-of-concept device has 160 kilobits of memory using interlocked molecules and nanowires that resemble a tic-tac-toe board. At each intersection of the 400-line grid are some 300 molecules of rotaxane. By controlling the voltage in the nanowires, each cluster of molecules can be switched from one state to the other, forming a bit of information, one or zero. While engineers and chemists have dreamed of molecular computers for a long time, this is the first time that a large molecular memory device has actually been built on a chip at an extremely high density, employing working architecture that is practical for everyday use. The storage density of a trillion bits per square centimeter that the researchers have achieved wasn't expected to be possible by most experts until approximately 2020. The UCLA Caltech team, with 25 years of experience in nanotechnology, is considered to be the global leader in developing molecular-scale machines and components. It has also designed and demonstrated molecular-scale logic gates and sensors, as well as other electronic components that will be required for a working molecular computer. In addition to computers, this technology will benefit healthcare, the environment, the development of alternative energy sources, 
and Homeland Security. It was funded by DARPA, the most forward-thinking arm of the Defense Department. The journal IEEE Computer recently carried news from Dartmouth College where researchers are working on a system designed to sift through the mountains of data that are spewed out from computer network monitors, video surveillance cameras, financial transaction records, databases of email exchanges, and other sources. Their so-called Process Query System, or PQS, is meant to make sense of all that data. Until now, it's been obvious that these mountains of data contain answers. But the problem has been determining what the right questions are. PQS, say the engineers, can spot identity theft in mountains of credit reports or reveal attacks on computer networks. It can also monitor changes in activity at national borders or among wildlife at national parks. PQS works by detecting changes in the dynamic states of systems. It therefore brings together the normally impractical quantities of information produced by these systems and focuses on the most important issues first. Researchers are heralding PQS as possibly the biggest breakthrough in software technology since the introduction of relational databases. PQS may provide a fitting application for the powerful new chip technology previously discussed. Tufts University is working on solving the problems caused by the fact that up until now, most robots have been made of rigid, inflexible materials. Now, a multidisciplinary effort across five departments at Tufts is aimed at developing robots that have soft, flexible bodies for use in everything from medicine to the exploration of space. The project will bring together biology, bioengineering, and nanotechnology expertise because the team aims to create a robotic system based on biological materials and on the adaptive mechanisms found in living cells, tissues, and organisms. They're planning for direct applications of this technology in manufacturing, emergency search and rescue, and the repair and maintenance of equipment in space. They also see uses in medical diagnostics and treatment. These might include endoscopy, remote surgery, and prosthetic devices. They also envision novel electronics, such as soft circuits and power supplies. One of the key differences between most living things and most man-made systems is that the former are flexible, not rigid. There is simply no technology that can match the movement and power-to-weight ratio of an animal. The Tufts team aims to achieve that in time with its program called Molecules to Robots, resulting in a truly soft-bodied robot that has the movement abilities of an animal. Work is proceeding in four areas. One, control systems. Two, biomimetic and bionic materials. Three, robot design and construction. And four, development and application of supporting technologies. For example, one of the researchers is a neurobiologist who is studying caterpillars, to try and learn how they control their movements so gracefully with such a small brain, and how they can move so well without joints. Another of the tough scientists studies biopolymers and has discovered how spiders and silkworms spin webs that are lighter and stronger than any man-made material. His lab combined genetic engineering and nanotech to create a fusion protein that marries the strength of spider's silk to the structure of silica. According to a press release from Tufts University, these new robots are being designed to climb any rough surface, maneuver along ropes, and burrow into confined spaces. When not in use, they will collapse like a compressed sponge.
In a related development, scientists at MIT are using spider's silk as a model for engineering a strong, stretchy nanomaterial that may be of use in flexible robots and other machinery. These polymeric nanocomposites will also be used in packaging materials, tear-resistant fabrics, and biomedical devices, according to a report in the journal Nature Materials. In past attempts, engineers have succeeded in designing materials that are either very strong or very stretchy, but not both. It is the combination of strength and flexibility that drew the researchers' interest to spider silk. The secret, disclosed by a scanning electron microscope, lies in the arrangement of the nanocrystalline reinforcement of the silk as the spider extrudes the silk from its silk gland. The tiny crystal fragments reinforce the elastic proteins, giving the silk both strength and flexibility. By using a new approach, the MIT researchers succeeded in mimicking the silk. They used nano-sized clay pellets mixed in with a polyurethane elastomer, a substance resembling rubber. This resulted in stiff clay particles that were embedded in the flexible matrix and gave it strength. Because the particles are distributed randomly, they reinforce in three dimensions. It is anticipated that the materials will be used in everything from body armor to lightweight packaging, as well as stents and other biomedical devices. When it comes to providing a long-term alternative to today's sources of energy, whether for transportation or at work and home, hydrogen holds great promise. For this reason, the development of practical hydrogen fuel cells for cars has become a major goal for transportation researchers. On the way to achieving that goal, scientists at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory and the Argonne National Laboratory have just announced a new oxygen-reducing chemical reaction. Up until now, the slow rate at which oxygen reduction occurs in fuel cells has held back development of the so-called polymer electrolyte membrane, or PEM, cells that experts expect to power cars in the coming decades. According to research reported in the journal Science, the key to this chemical process is a new platinum alloy. This variant increases the cathode speed of oxygen reduction by an astonishing 90 times over the traditional platinum carbon cathode technology now in use. This brings within reach the target set by the U.S. Department of Energy for the power densities of fuel cells required for cars. Fuel cells convert chemical energy directly into electrical energy without burning anything. That's the secret to both their efficiency and their lack of pollutants. The only byproduct is water. PEM fuel cells have already been used successfully in the space program, but they've been much too expensive for mass production use. PEM fuel cells consist of an anode and a platinum cathode with a polymer electrolyte membrane in between. The membrane lets positively charged protons through and stops negatively charged electrons. The anode chemically traps oxygen while the cathode gives it off. The former process is called oxidation and the latter is called reduction. The hydrogen atoms are split apart into protons and electrons at the anode. The protons pass through the membrane, and the electrons pass through a wire to the cathode. Electric current, of course, is simply the flow of electrons passing through a wire or some other medium. On the proton side of the membrane, the electrons combine with protons at the cathode to join with oxygen and form water, H2O. 
The key to this process so far has been the availability of pure platinum, which is extremely expensive and tends to degrade rather quickly through the accumulation of unwanted byproducts, especially hydroxide ions. The hydroxide ions bind with the platinum atoms and end their useful life. Consequently, the fuel cell gradually stops working. But by using the new platinum-nickel alloy, engineers can avoid or at least forestall that effect. The alloy identified by the Berkeley and Argonne scientists has proven to be an extremely efficient atomic configuration at blocking hydroxide and other molecules that can degrade platinum. The Business Briefing's editors will watch this technology carefully and keep you updated on its progress. In nanotech news this month, researchers announced that for the first time they have managed to control the rotation of a wheel and axle assembly inside a molecule, paving the way for the world's smallest machines. The research was performed by nanotechnologists at the Center for Material Development and Structural Studies in Toulouse, France, working with their colleagues at the Free University of Berlin, Germany, and IBM engineers in Zurich, Switzerland. Two wheels, just 0.7 nanometers in diameter, were mounted on an axle 0.6 nanometers long to create the first fully controllable molecular machine, according to a report in the journal Nature Nanotechnology. The group had managed to get a flat molecular wheel rotating in 1998 and created a single molecule wheelbarrow in 2003. The researchers built a molecular motor in 2005 and last year demonstrated a rack and pinion only 1.2 nanometers in scale. This time, they were able to precisely control the rotation and direction of the wheel. They first created two wheels made of tryptocene atoms. Next, they mounted them on either side of an axle molecule. Using low-energy scanning tunneling microscopy, they placed the assembly on an ultra-clean copper surface. Then they used the tip of the tunneling microscope to cause the wheels to rotate. They were able to demonstrate turning and backing up by variable rotation of speed and direction using one wheel or the other. The researchers will now continue with the development of the other components of a complete vehicle, including a motor for power. In related developments, engineers at Princeton are creating the world's smallest circuits using a new technology called nano-imprint lithography, developed by researchers at Princeton's engineering school in the 1990s. According to the journal Nanotechnology, the circuits have features that are about one nanometer in size, or ten times smaller than any others being made today. Surprisingly, they will also be ten times cheaper to mass-produce. As a result, nano-imprinting is expected to be the technology of choice for computer chips and a wide range of microscopic devices that will be used in optics, data storage, and biotechnology, just to name a few. The technique presses liquid droplets on the surface of a silicon wafer, forming a pattern that hardens into the desired circuitry. It does not require an expensive vacuum chamber like other technologies. Until now, however, nano-imprinting has been bedeviled by air bubbles that form in the pattern of circuitry and ruin it. Through a painstaking process, the Princeton team was able to tweak the parameters, increasing imprint pressure and using liquids with a higher capacity for dissolving air so that the bubbles vanished before the matrix could harden. 
You've been listening to the world famous Change Your Mind, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life podcast. We hope we've helped you get on the road to do both. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on Facebook, Clubhouse, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasting, Google Podcasting, and Instagram at Rob underscore Pisola. Reach out to us by phone at 1-800-373-8913 and send your questions or comments to VIP at westerncapitalmedia.com. Until next time, this has been the world-famous Change Your Mind, Change Your Life podcast.